It's our privilege this morning to read from Colossians chapter 3, verses 9 through 11. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. This is a living word of God for us today. Thank you, Dan. Thanks, Dan. If you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open them. I want you to open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. You may be saying, wait, I thought we were in chapter 3, verse 22 and on. Well, we're going to pick that up next week. Rob will pick that up. But uh, this morning, we're going to take a look at chapter 3. Once again, we're revisiting some, some ground we've covered. But Rob and I felt really, really um, felt of the spirit the need to go back and, and, and address some, some things that we want to cover more deeply. You know the structure of the book of Colossians, the deep theological, theological grounding of who we are in Christ, chapter one and two, chapter three and four, the rich expression in light of what we say and what we do because of those truths. Everybody with me? That's a very common pattern for Paul. And what we understand as we move into these practical applications is, you know, there is the truths of our identity in Christ, and then there's the way we live out those truths. And to the degree that the truths of our identity in Christ, our fullness in Christ, are here, and our behavior in a particular area is here, there's a gap, isn't there? I'm going to tell you something. Between this side of heaven, you will never close that gap completely. But the purpose of God leaving us on the planet in part is that we would grow increasingly and increasingly more like Jesus. So when we see those gaps in our lives, we need not shrink back in shame. We, need, we, we step into that and go, well, that's the, that's the edge of my growth. That's where God wants me to grow in that area. Does that make sense? Rob and I have felt for some time the need to step into an arena where we feel like there's the, truth, there's the truth of God, and yet there's this way we, me, we live in our faith. There's a gap, and we want to address and look at that gap and have a conversation about that gap. And this is the spot to do it, because this is where in our letter to the Colossians, as we've studied it, Paul, Mike Vogt, as they taught through this, you'll remember chapter three is all about the old self. Everybody remember this, who you were? You know, blame, unintegrated control of the broken heart. And then we get to our new self, chosen, holy, and loved. So it's old self, new self. And it's about put off this, put on this. Everybody with me? That's the context we're seeing it, uh, where we are in our, in our letter right now. Well, uh, one of the things that we want you to understand uh, more clearly is that Paul is not just talking about an old self, you all. He's talking about an old humanity, an old, not person, an old people, an old humanity, wherein, as we read here, you could have been Jew or Greek or slave or free or Scythian or barbarian. You're, you're all different and separate. That's the old humanity. But because of the cross and redemption in Christ, we are now a new humanity. So it's not just, hey, you're a new person. Do you understand? You're a new people of God. And wherein the old humanity, 
you know, red, yellow, black, and white, distinct, different. In the new humanity, red, yellow, black, and white, slave, free, whatever it may be, socioeconomic, racial, um, social status, uh, religious status, you know, whatever it may be, we are now in a new humanity, and those who are in Christ now, who put their trust in Christ, while remaining distinct and unique, are all a part of one body, not these distinct peoples. And I'm gonna put a crown on this in the sense to say, we are now, I suddenly drew, I just realized the hamburger guy. What, um, what's his name, what's the hamburger guy? I don't mean that. No, no, the guy, the, uh, Jack. Sorry. That's, this is the new humanity. This is you and I and all people of all colors, races, creeds, whatever. If we're in Christ, we are a new humanity. We, we belong, okay? Now, when you read verse 11, look at it with me again. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slaves, free, but Christ is all and in all. I wanna suggest that that reality is an area of growth for all of us in many ways. And what we're gonna talk about this morning is gonna, it could offend some, it's gonna, you know, there's a spectrum in the room, you know, some, where you land on, on, on certain things. Here's what we know and here's what we're gonna agree upon on the front end. It's not our opinion that matters most, it's what the Bible says that matters most. And we are a people submitted to the truth of God's word. Um, with that, I'm gonna invite someone most of you don't know, J.R. Garrett, to come on up and join me. Uh, J.R., you're gonna know J.R. after these next few moments. J.R., he and his wife Portia and their kids are members at Fellowship Franklin. So this is why Rob and I always say, you know, there's two, one church, two congregations. So you may not, you don't know the folks down at Franklin, but they know J.R. because he's been a member there for many years. I'm gonna let J.R. tell a little bit of his story. What I want you to know is, uh, JR and I and Rob have had some very frank and direct conversations about engaging, you know, engaging around this unity of the body and what it looks like to live as the people of God, regardless of race and sex and circumcised, uncir you know, all these things. It's, it's one body. And um, we're going to have a conversation with you. And uh, I didn't plan on it, but last service I actually said, does anybody have any questions? And lo and behold, there were a few. And uh, it, was, it was very, very helpful. I but didn't plan on it either. He didn't plan on it either. So, but uh, I'll, I'll give you that uh, option here in a minute, but I want JR to, I'm gonna let him tell part of his story. Let's listen. Let's learn. Um, you know, there's, there's gonna be a bit of awkwardness in this. I'm telling you, JR, JR and Rob and I had, even when we're talking, because it's kind of like, JR, you know what? What I, do I call you African-American? Do I call you black? I, I, you know, you, do, do you, you, you go, I'm not sure what to call you. And he's like, I'm black man. Black. I'm, I'm a black man, you know? But, but it, it, I'm from Louisiana, it's okay. But it points, to, it points to the awkwardness that remains. And you go, why does that remain? You know? Why does that, where does that come from? In me, you know, in another. So, I appreciate your courage to sit with us and your willingness to, to share your heart. I wanna pray for us in these moments. Father, 
We invite your Holy Spirit to teach, to lead, to open our eyes to hear, to put on JR's heart what you would have him say. And may all be honoring and may it all glorify you. This is our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. All right, JR, with that, introduce yourself to your church family that doesn't know you because you're down at, you're down at Franklin. Tell us about yourself, your family. Uh, J.R. Garrett. Um, my wife, uh, like Lloyd said, is uh, Portia Garrett. She's actually uh, would be here, and I'd love for you guys to be able to meet her, but she's um, uh, one of the leaders in the women's discipleship group. She's at the retreat this weekend, so she couldn't be here. Uh, we've been married for 12 years. Uh, we've got three kids. Um, Avon, who is my eldest son. Um, he is six, about to be seven. Nola, who is my middle child. Nola, New Orleans, Louisiana, from Louisiana. You get mm, it. Mm. Um, Nola, who's my middle child. She's five and a half. Um, and I love my youngest, who's three, about to be four. I said this last service. Y'all, I have an Aunt Isla. I mean, who, who has an I- <laughs> Isla? And you got a daughter, I do have a Isla, aunt. which I thought was pretty amazing because I've not heard that. Heard that before. Talk about work, yep. what you do. Awesome. You know, so from Louisiana. Um, from Louisiana, um, uh, I play college football, but that's immaterial. Um, I'm an attorney here in town. That's my trade. But what I do is I actually run a um, legal and cybersecurity division of a healthcare technology company here in town. Good. All right. Here's what we're gonna do. I- I'm gonna launch him with a question that he's gonna carry. I'll interrupt him, maybe. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. I may stop and ask questions of you, but I want him to kind of unpack some of his thinking around this. And I want to frame the question in this way. And I wrote it down. I said, you know, what difficulties that even discussing the new human? I want to keep this rooted in the te- the new discussing the new humanity in Christ arises in in you, Jr. Mm-hmm. Um, as a black man in a mostly white church and a mostly white uh, community. So yeah. what are some of those things that arise in you yeah. as, as you live that out? Um, firstly, I'm glad you referenced to it being from the text, right? Because that's where a lot of the conversation I have with um, my, my peers are. I wanted to be from what God's called us to biblically, yeah. right? And so the issue I found is that um, a lot of my brothers and sisters in Christ don't believe that this is actually a biblical issue. They believe it's a social issue, and I believe otherwise. I mm-hmm. believe that how we engage with people that look different than us is absolutely a biblical issue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? And so one of the things that I took a step back to really want to show is that our church probably is in a place to where um, a lot of preferences dictate how we engage the, with the people around us, right? So a scenario that I um, came up with was just a plant scenario. Let's say I had two boxes, and one of those boxes was filled with rocks and dirt, and another box was filled with fertilizer. And I had a red flower and blue flower. I preferred red flower, so I put the red flower and the fertilizer and the blue flower and the uh, box of rocks with dirt in it. And I watered them equally. I gave them the same amount of sunlight. The red, but naturally, because it's in great fertilizer, the red Red flowers sprouted and they're beautiful, big and strong. The blue flowers, they didn't. The, most of them actually died. And the ones that did survive, they got to about middling height of the red flower. And that's why I think a lot of our churches, where we're gonna see is that our preferences for that red flower weren't intentional against the blue flower. They just said, I prefer red flowers. But it's that type of separation that shows how a lot of us engage with people around us. We decide that that slight separation is about preference, not about anything else, but it has ramifications down into people groups across 
every people group, mm -hmm. but we don't think through that. Mm -hmm. But that's the easy one. That's the one where it's accidental. There's ones that aren't accidental. There's systems in place, and I know this is a big buzz conversation because <laughs> this is a big one for us in our community group um, that our community group had difficulty with standing. Um, and that was that there are systems in place that still negatively impact and disproportionately impact certain people group. And I struggled to come up with scenarios um, of this that could really hit home for some of the really, really smart people that I've gotten with. And thankfully, God blessed us with Just Mercy. That uh, it was a movie and a book that recently came out. And in this, in this film, um, Walter McMillan was accused of um, uh, murder uh, for a crime that he hadn't committed. He couldn't have committed. He was in a different place in town. And the sheriff of that town actually came up, abused his power, had his officers abuse their power, and put him on death row pre-trial um, for, for that murder that he hadn't committed. They, um, that sheriff um, shunned witnesses who were able to corroborate um, Walter McMillan's story that he wasn't liable. He coerced um, confessions out of other criminals in order to prosecute Walter McMillan. And this was actually proven by um, the attorney working with the, um, a, a version of the ACLJ um, to prove that this was all um, a corrupt system that occurred that impacted Walter McMillan. And the crazy thing about that story is it isn't that the event occurred. It's that that sheriff in that case was still a sheriff up until 2019 when he retired. And so he abused his powers. It was proven in court of law across not only Walter McMillan, but other inmates. And he stayed in the office through 2019. Mm -hmm. The judge who presided over the case, Robert E. Lee Key was his actual name, mm -hmm. um, was in office throughout the 2010s. And this wasn't the only time he's sentenced someone to the death row prior to trial or to death. This was actually the second time he'd done that. Mm -hmm. And so to say that these systems aren't in place would assume that the people are no longer there. Well, as evidenced by this story, in 2019, two of the most powerful people in that state were still in office, still practicing the same practice they mm -hmm. had been their entire life. So these systems do still exist, and that's a tough conversation mm -hmm. to really work through with your brothers and sisters to get them to understand that. Um, I know they're not being impacted, but I'm still being impacted. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the tough one to see is when you're at different parts of the funnel. Right? And this is something Lloyd and I talked about was, um, I want you guys to picture the Holocaust. And remember, this is just a reference only. At the top of the Holocaust, there was Hitler. Like, he was the one driving and saying, this is what I want to happen. But that second rung, it was his officers who were just doing their job. They were just doing their job. And then that third level down, it was the people, the citizens of the area who knew about it, but weren't going to do anything about it because it wasn't really impacting them. And it was, then there was the bottom level where I believe our church is, and I know that's hard to hear, but as people who aren't doing it, don't really know about it, they don't really know that it's happening, but they don't care. They don't want to do anything about it. They want to keep their head in the sand. And that's a hard conversation to have with your brothers and sisters in Christ who call you a brother when you're fighting with them to get them to actually care that something's impacting you, that in their role mm -hmm. they're saying, it's not real because it's not impacting me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. One of the things you said earlier, um, and I'm not going to say it right maybe, but the, that any, any system mm -hmm. that, you say it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. So um, as, as believers, I believe that we're called to see any system that doesn't mirror the image of, of God is a system that we're called to dismantle. And I believe that, that those systems ex exist today and that within the body of Christ, we're the ones most responsible to do that because we're the only ones who are called to unification. Outside of the church, that's not the call, right? It's, in, it's within the body of Christ that we're called to that. When, when he said that, I immediately thought you all of, of what I spoke of earlier. Um, 
I'm going to take that crown off because I can't keep thinking of that guy. I keep thinking of the body of Christ. Any system that does not reflect this, any systemic system that does not reflect this, uh, we don't have, we can't stand by and let that be okay. That's a fact. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Now, here's what I know is going on in the room, because I've, I've gotten feedback last time, and I will this time, and it's totally okay. We talk, I said earlier, there's different spectrums on here, and there are some of us that are sitting there going, oh my gosh, you guys, this, look, this is not a da-da-da-da, this is, and we have different views on, oh, well, why this, why this, why this? Let's all come together right now to say, there is certainly evidence, strong evidence, that there remains systems in place that discriminate against people based on the color of their skin, their nationality. They're, I'm, can we agree that they're there? You know, we're not, we're not casting blame, but they're there. And if they're there, what's our responsibility in light of those systems being there? Now, here's where I, I, I want to go, Jr. Because you know, you look out in this room and. And, and you go, you know, I, yeah, I get that. I think I get that, Lloyd, but I don't get that. And the truth is, I don't get it either because you, don't, you generally don't get something till you experience something. And the truth is that many in the room, some will, but many won't experience discrimination. We just, we just won't experience it. And so therefore, it's kind of hard to go, well, I, I feel for you, JR, but... And so one of the things we can do as a family of faith is hear the experiences of those who are in our family. JR said it, I'm going to say it now, and I'll say it at the end. Racism is not a social issue. It is a biblical issue because it has to do with discriminating against a person, against any person. Do you see that? It's got to be a biblical issue. It's a biblical issue when we look at Colossians, which is why we're camping on it here for a moment. So time-wise, I want to I move to say, JR, just share with us, as I started the question, your experiences yeah. as a black man in Williamson County, or even as you, as you grew up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I'll start with, and I, and I know this, this topic is, is eerie because a lot of us think that um, segregation um, was over you know, after Jim Crow, but if you look around the room, um, this congregation looks a lot like it did in 1950. Um, we've had a black president, but we actually have it because Obama was, his father was Kenyan, his mother was Anglo-American, and he was born in Hawaii. So he, he's, he's, not an, he's not an African-American. Right? Okay, so we're not going to get into that. Yeah, we're not going to. Yeah. Yeah. Those two things don't make sense. Um, and the third thing is, is seeing color, right? So having um, brothers and sisters in, in, in the body actually tell me um, in conversation, I was like, yeah, I love you. I don't see color. I don't see your color. I'm like, well, do you think God made a mistake? Because if so, we can fix that. Yeah. Maybe I can get a different job. You know, just joking around. But um, God made me this color intentionally, right? God wanted me to experience the world this way. He wanted me to engage him based off of this, con- based off this color. So to tell me you don't see my colors, to tell me you're not seeing me, and then to assume that God has made a mistake in making me this color which I think is wrong all across the board. Um, but from an experience standpoint, um, I say my appearance, what, what I'm wearing is the biggest experiential factor as it relates to me being in this, in this body of Christ. And I can, let me show you what I mean by that. And I did this in the first service and I'm, I'm hopeful 
I could do it as quickly as I did the first time. Yeah. But leaving the gym is always interesting for me, especially if I have to stop and grab coffee for my wife because I'm not dressed in a blazer and expensive loafers. I'm dressed usually in a hoodie and gym shoes, which as you can imagine in this area can absolutely impact how someone views me. I don't have the status markers anymore. Now I'm just a guy who just left the gym. And so whenever I go into Starbucks dressed like this, I'm greeted differently. Whenever I go into a store dressed like this, I'm greeted differently. Many of you, I'm guessing when you go to return something to a store, don't give it two thoughts as to what you're wearing. That's luxury that you have, because I don't have that luxury. So I've got specific examples of me going into places to return goods, whether they were expensive or not, um, where I was met with, well, let me see your receipt. I don't believe this is a receipt that you have or not. I tried to return an, an item early, like years ago uh, to Best Buy that was pretty expensive. I was a surround sound system, and it, it took a clerk and two managers to validate my receipt, my phone, my ID, and my address as to where I live before I could get it returned. And I know that seems odd, but that is the experience that I have here in Williamson County trying to do simple, small things in this area. And that's a hard thing to relay to your brothers and sisters when you're trying to say, no, no, I absolutely believe you that we are reconciled to Christ. That is what Jesus on the cross was, did for us. I absolutely believe we're on the same page, but that doesn't mean that the work here is done. That mm -hmm. doesn't mean that when a husband and wife have a rift, they don't reconcile to one another. That doesn't mean when friendships have a rift, they don't reconcile to one another. So for you to say that Jesus is on the cross and there's no work for her, us to do here left on earth is an irrational thought because we absolutely still have work here to do whenever we harm someone on this mm -hmm. earth. Mm -hmm. um, that's the part, you all. I remember sitting with JR some, some months ago and he told me that story and I said, You're, you got to be kidding me. And, and um, I want you to hear this. He's not kidding. You and I don't experience that. What's, what's going on? I said it's not a social issue, it's a biblical issue. Can I add this? It's a personal issue. A member of my family gets treated differently when he returns something. That's, is that okay with you? I mean, if your kid came home one day and said, let me tell you how they treated me at Best Buy, that's not okay. You know, that's the part I think, I know this is a big global issues, et cetera. Let's keep it right here. Let's keep it right here in our, in our family and with our brother in Christ and how he lives and experiences uh, life in, in this community. I, I want you to unpack a little bit about the, you know, because you're a dad, I'm a dad, yeah. and, he's, and, and just the story yeah. of raising your kids and think about how he has to raise his kids in a different way than I raise mine in something as awesome as getting a driver's license and what that means. Yeah. So for me um, in the city, I actually had a conversation with a, a police officer in December and he basically told me, he's like, at your size, once you get out of a car, dressed the way you are, you're a threat to me, regardless of whether you start speaking or not. 
He's like, but when I see you in those other clothes, I'm not jumping to a threat first. And I thought to myself, I was like, I'm not that big. <laughs> For him to think that I'm an immediate threat when I get out of the car, yeah. my father-in-law is 6'4", 280 pounds. My son's going to dwarf me and I have to start training him on how he's going to engage in those situations. And so we've already started having those types of conversations. He's six. He's not going to drive me anytime soon. But how he engages with um, people in authority is already something that I've prepped him for. So me, myself, I've got a, like a pullover kit that has my license ID, um, my, my ID, my registration, my insurance card, and my bar card, right? So I make sure attorney, like police officers know that I'm an attorney and that I do have the phone number of, the sh- of people in this town that I can call in the event they abuse their power. And so I do that as soon as they pull me over. I say, get here oftener. My car is on the car. My hands are outside of the window already. I say, here's my bar number, 031364. I'm friends with XYZ, and I'm happy to make a phone call in the event there's any type of discrepancy. Why? Because that immediately puts the officer on notice that any abuse of power will absolutely be brought up to the next level above him. And so my son needs to understand what his rights are, and I already started having that conversation with him because he's going to be a threat. Once he puts a hoodie on, when he's anywhere near my age, he's going to be a a big human being. And so Mm -hmm. I don't want my son to get gunned down just because he's big and in a hoodie. Mm -hmm. Tell me, talk about the, you were telling me about even your name and how you've had to navigate (laughs) that for your your life and and work. So... I go by JR, but my, my full name is Jamel Raphael Garrett, right? And the reason I go by uh, JR is because no one can spell my name. Um, <laughs> but um, really, I was in, in college and I was thinking to myself, you know, I want, I'm, I'm going to be an attorney one day. You know, what, what attorneys do you know named Jamel? Right? You, you, you don't go to that attorney, you go, you go to the JR. And so in order to give myself a leg up, I said, I'm gonna go by JR and I took ownership of that. Um, and so I've gone by JR my whole life just because I didn't want to be limited in my career path. Mm-hmm. The thoughts that someone has to think to navigate life because cause your skin color's different. You know, that's, I, I don't, you know, I say I don't get it. I, I'm beginning to get it, you know, in these conversations, but this is where I want us as a church to, to sit with this. Again, there, I'm not judging anyone, and you can have a different view, whatever. But there's a new humanity that requires our commitment to love anyone and everyone that I, I don't want us to ignore. I don't have all the answers. JR doesn't have all the answers. But I think it's enough for us to begin the conversation, is it not? And I know this, this can open a can of worms, but I'm gonna let you ask some questions. And so you're just gonna stick your hand up and uh, this is unplanned, this is your questions. I don't know what's coming, JR doesn't. But what, what's a question you would have for JR? And I'm telling you, last service, there were a few zingers that were, that were so good quite frankly, because I knew the heart they were coming from and, and it, was a, it was a healthy conversation. But I don't want to miss, what, what's a question you have that's sitting on your heart even in this moment? Just slip your hand up. We're going to um, get a microphone. So we want to, go ahead. This would go to J.R. or to Lloyd, but what are we going to do as a church community to embrace this mm-hmm. and learn and teach what's going on out there yeah. because there are a lot of people that totally are unaware of this and don't probably believe it. Yeah. Jared, I'll let you just start. Yeah. Um, so one of the ways that I agreed to do this was to 
uh, was only if we could continue to figure out a way to have these type of conversations moving forward. And so we actually already broached uh, the topic of potentially starting in a forum called Open United, where we continue to have these types of dialogues that are meant to be around uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, right? So my goal isn't to use any of the information that we talk through as a weapon against you, is really to have open dialogue with you as my brother in Christ, say, I love you, I wanna hear your heart. Um, uh, Eric, I hope you don't um, get upset with me for this, but that's how Eric and I in our community group work together was Eric was able to share some tendencies that he had in his heart uh, from years ago, and we were able to love one another through those to help him realize um, truly how he's seeing the world. And it's been beautiful, and it's been great for us, um, but it's until you get that nexus to someone, you're not gonna have that sense to see those things. But I'd say now, um, Eric's awareness is off the chart, and his heart's in a beautiful place right now, and I'd love to do that for everyone in our church is to encourage that relational proximity. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm going to get some other questions, but that, there's a lot to be answered in that, and there's steps, to, steps for us to take. Who else had a question? Slip your hand up. All the way back here, there's one. And does someone else have a question just so I know it's coming next? I'm going to come up here. Uh, my name is Bessie. I am originally from Chile. I've been here for 30 years. Um, I don't want to complain about you know, being treated differently. I became a Christian here because the Lord chose to bring me into America, introduce himself to me. I am well aware of my new identity in mm -hmm. Christ. I'm a nurse. Um, fortunately, I picked two languages so I can help two people, <laughs> two group of people. Um, I don't let those things to intimidate me. I rise above that. I'm proud of who I am and who Jesus brought me to be. Mm -hmm. I'm so grateful for that. Mm -hmm. The first question that comes all the time as soon as I talk, where are you from? Mm -hmm. uh, and I answer, from here. Yeah. I belong. And I belong in my heart because he brought me here mm -hmm. and planted me here. So, um, you know, I have been, you know, treated like you saying, where is your receipt or not? I don't go for that. I say, when is your manager? Immediately. Yeah. Because those people, not because I want to put them down, I want them to be trained. Yeah. That law is for everybody, not for some. Yeah. And the fact that you have a different color or I have a different accent doesn't make us, you know, lesser than anybody. But that has to start with us. Yeah. Feeling capable and feeling belonging. Mm -hmm. I belong to Jesus, mm -hmm. therefore, I'm not afraid. Yeah, Amen. that's good. Thank you. Let me, let me, um, let me say on that, I'm, I'm grateful for you sharing that. And uh, isn't, isn't, she's preaching the gospel right there, who we are in Christ. So I don't, I don't, want, us to, I don't want us to miss that. Um, I will say, I'm not going to let him say it. I'm going to say it. Your accent is strong, and I know you're from somewhere else. JR grew up in America, and there's a long history in America of racism. So, so I just want to, I want to get this in its context. So for a black man to speak up, it, it, it just hits a little different in this culture 
then do you know what I'm saying here? That there's a little bit of a difference there that I don't want to, I want to just nuance it. At the same time, I want to affirm, and by the way, I want to say thank you for taking us back to our identity in Christ, because that is what matters most. Go ahead, and then I'm going to get right here. Okay, I'm going to try not to open a can of worms, but uh, as Christians and so members of the church, but also citizens of this country where it's our job to vote based on what we believe the Lord's will is for us as Christians and this country, how do we follow Christ's heart, which cares about issues on both sides of the aisle, whereas oftentimes racism is on one side of the aisle and another issue that we deeply care about as well is on the other aisle. How do, how do we as Christians navigate that? That is, you open a can of worms, you did. Well, well done, well done. Do you, do you want to say something? Because I do. Go ahead, go ahead. I'm always happy to speak if you go ahead. I want to hold that, only, only in that you've, inter, you've, you've moved us into an arena that, that's bigger than what we're talking about here, and that is a brother in Christ in a community of faith where he experiences things we don't as white people that we say, that, that ought not be, how do we engage that? That is, you know that's a great question, Toby, but I don't want to, I don't want us yeah. to go there. I will comment, though. If your political rhetoric is outpacing your biblical rhetoric, then you need to take time and, evaluate, and investigate your heart. Mm-hmm. Amen. That's good. All right, right here, Joe. Um, my question is more theological, and I mean, it has practical implications, so if I'm stepping out of the sphere, that's okay. Um, but you were talking about dismantling the system, and I'm just using the words you used. Um, so, like, since you're a lawyer, how do you think about us interacting as good citizens, living quiet lives, and submitting to our government, yeah. um, but also changing the political system we have set up um, yeah. from yeah. a governmental it, perspective? It's going to be through policy and procedure. So look at things like how we decide on zoning in Franklin and say, okay, well, how we come up with this specific shift in this town or what people will go to what state and actually question that to see if one population group is being funneled to certain schools because that's typically done intentionally but it's hard to um, identify that through policy because it's done through abstraction. Would you say the same thing for like uh, policing? Like I, mean, I know uh, Mayor Bloomberg had a policy, I don't, I don't know the exact name of it, but I think you understand what I'm talking about, mm-hmm. um, where it's like you identify certain citizens immediately just mm-hmm. because of like stereotypes. Mm-hmm. Um, that are, tend to be more of a practical thing. Mm-hmm. Would you say the same thing for that too? It's, it's the same thing. It all goes back down to how we're training our police officers on the front end, what type of policy is being put in place there, and actually then looking at the practice. So there's a policy that's always written down, mm-hmm. right? And so you'll get the argument that there's no policies in place that are inherently um, racist or discriminatory. But then what practices are being in place? If the practice that's being implemented disproportionately affects a certain population of people, then you need to go back and review the policy to sub sub to subvert that type of outcome. Okay, thank you. Anybody else have a question? All the way in the back, all the way in the back, and then the back right, and that'll be it on questions. Good morning. Um, One thing I've noticed is that our kids have a bigger opportunity to do something about it than we as adults. Mm -hmm. So specifically, um, our children are in school, so they're in school with children that look differently than them 
and they go to camps. I send my kids to Barefoot Republic Camp, and what that happened with me was that they were with people who were different and look different and economic backgrounds. So what I see is the potential fear comes from the unknown, right? We don't know what you don't know. You know, we're scared of this, we're scared of that, because we don't know. Um, and maybe the more you know, or the more you interact, the the better that you can solve mm -hmm. things. I think our kids have that potential. So my question is, as adults here in this church, I don't really have the same opportunity that my kids have to interact with people that look different, unless I intentionally do it. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's a long-term question for us, is how do we get there? And if you have any answers now, that That'd be cool too. Thanks, and maybe the discrimination on the hoodie is the LSU part. I'm just saying. Oh, go Tigers! Good catch. Good catch, um, man. Absolutely. Um, I'll start with so everyone can hear it. Go Tigers. Okay. Um, secondly, secondly, um, I would say that your kids are going to mirror the friend groups that you have. It's simple as that. So even in the 1950s, little kids ended up playing with kids of different ethnicities until their parents realized that as they got older, and then the shift happened because then the um, society and culture took over and they mirrored their friend groups that their parents had. So as your kids see you pursuing uh, diverse friendships, they're going to do the same thing because you're essentially marking it as an okay action to take place. Mm. That's good. Last question. Well, JR, thank you for being here. And congratulations to your alma mater for their national championship. <laughs> <laughs> JR, my question would be if you were asked to speak uh, before a group of men or uh, those that could make a difference, uh, what would your message be to uh, you know, make an impact and help them to see you know, a way that uh, they could carry that to, um, to be you know, better and, and be more proactive and yeah. And their views there. Mm -hmm. Well, I'd say our church is actually doing a fantastic job of that as we focus on the whole heart, right? So I found that a lot of uh, Christian men and women, um, the issue isn't um, what they don't know, it's what they've forgotten, and that we've called to love our neighbors, right? And so Moses in Leviticus uh, 19, uh, as it relates to uh, how are we to love foreigners as they come in, and Jesus. Um, and I want to make sure I get this right, because I'll I got a buddy who wear me out if I um, mm -hmm. proof text. Um, Luke 10, 25 to 37, as Jesus was answering that same question on what it means to love our neighbor. And the lawyer was actually wise and wanted to limit what that means. And Jesus flipped it and said, well, instead of asking yourself or asking, well, who's our neighbor? You should ask yourself a different question. Am I being a good neighbor? Mm -hmm. And so for the people in that group, I would say to start with that and then do a similar to I do as it relates to the natures of my heart. Um, and my wife will attest to this. Anytime um, she makes a statement as it relates to how I'm engaging the world around me, I take a second to think about where my heart is on this topic. If it's something I'm act engaging in maliciously or if I'm engaging in cautiously or am I engaging in optimistically and based off of where I'm at and that, that determines how my actions flow. So in that group, I would get with them in to see where their heart are on these types of items and then we'd engage with that. If they're being passionate and optimistic about where we can go next and then we'd come up with some action plans about ways we can impact the people around us and it's not going to be transactional. We wouldn't do um, Saturday feel-good food fests. I don't, I don't think those have um, long-term value. Those meet immediate needs, absolutely, but long-term value is through relational proximity. So we'd figure out how to make some real relationships um, as we engage on this type of topic. Mm -hmm. Thank you for thank you for asking. Uh, I want to get I want to land this plane here. We when I, Jr. Jr. and Rob and I were talking, 
the sense to which the you know how do we how do we land where do we land and it's your your question and some of yours like okay all the way back to what do we do and JR's first response he had already thought it through and he had these three things he said the first thing is pray the first thing is to pray and God opened my own eyes to my own biases and discriminatory practices I'm not even aware of my own sensitivity my own arrogance or my own ignorance God opened my eyes we need to to pray secondly he said learn and um, so, so what do we learn? Well, we, you know, we listen to JR today. Some of you, you know, maybe, you know, fidgeting around going, I thought we we're going to teach the Bible. I thought we'd teach the Bible here. Well, we do. Okay. And that's what we're doing here. And we're bringing, we're exploring this particular passage in Colossians in which we say there's a new humanity. We're not living it well. How do we engage that? So we, we JR, I asked him for a book recommendation. Black and Reformed. Black and Reformed. Um, I know everybody didn't learn by reading, but it's a place to begin, is it not? Black and Reformed and a, a, a good treatment of the, the, this topic and, and how we understand it. Start there. So pray, learn. The third thing he's already mentioned was relate. Um, I, you know, someone shared uh, in the last service, you know, they, they work in an environment and you know, she said, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm not around many minorities or, you know, we, and many of us are not. So, so what do we do? Well, we, we pray God would not just bring those in our lives, but what would it look like for us to initiate those conversations in our lives? Not to sit and wait, but to stand up and go, right? You know what I'm saying? So it's just learning to relate. And even, I love the question, I'm going to go all the way back to the political realm and how to navigate that and how do systems change. I'll tell you this, I, I, I with you can just be like, oh my gosh, and get overwhelmed and immobilized. Or I can say, look at my life, okay God, and what's in front of me. And that's what you're responsible for. What's in front of you and what's your personal step as we walk in this arena. The, la the last thing, and you didn't have this, but the, the act part, I'd love for you to talk, to, to share la one last thing on the, on the, for example, like you see something happen, like a, a brother in Christ being treated differently at Best Buy, or someone being treated, you know, wrong. Do, you, do we just stand there? Or would we, step in and go, that's not the way a person should be treated. Uh, that's not how I'm treated when I return something. That's not right. You know, I know that's not, you know, everyone's not going to have the gumption, whatever you want to call it, to, to step into that. But God, I pray that, that, that many of us would to step into that for each other. Um, Time-wise, I, 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 I need to wrap us up. But there's, there's some very practical things I want you to grab a hold of. Pray learn, be, relate, start relating. That's where change occurs. And then the act part is step into those arenas. If there is any system that does not magnify the glory of God, that's a, that system must be addressed. We, you can't, we can't ignore that. Does that make sense? We can't ignore that, whatever that may look like for you personally. I want everybody to stand. I'm going to invite the band back up, and uh, we're going to conclude with a song. Uh, JR is going to be up here if you want to visit with him afterwards. And uh, I want to take us back to this passage. 
in the new humanity secured by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. There is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all and in all. We'll sing these words in a moment of the love of Christ because as Paul wraps this section up, he says in verse 14, and above all these things, put on love. Look, we're gonna put on this. Put on love. Put on love. Which binds everything together, together in perfect harmony. And so we're gonna sing of the love of Christ secured by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the center of all things. And we're gonna sing about our love for Christ, but that love is only a reflection, is it not, of his love for us, unconditional love for us. And may it remind us that his love for us is that love which we extend to anyone in our path regardless of the color of their skin, regardless of their accent, their country of birth, their, their religious beliefs, their social status. It is the love of Christ that binds us. Let's remind ourselves of that.